Hello and welcome to the PopBreak.com's official Oscars podcast, hosted by Marissa Carpico and Matt Taylor. everyone. This is Marissa Garpigo, the film editor at ThePopBreak.com. I'm here with our TV editor. Uh, say hello, Matt Taylor. <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> um, and we are here to do our um, way too early Oscar podcast. Um, trying to get back into the regular um, recording of these, even though the season is still pretty slow at this point. Um, not a ton of stuff. It's a What a bizarre year. Maybe it's just, I don't know, the the production of post me too is finally hitting us now or something like that. But I, I don't know. Maybe it it all feels very tentative. And it Um, feels like this fall, there's big movies coming out every weekend and it's just going to be like, it's going to be exhausting to keep up with them all. (laughs) I'm like trying with film festival season coming up. I'm trying to like, pick movies based on like what weekends I will be busy. So I won't be able to see them actually when they're released. So it's like, let me catch this one now because I won't be able to the weekend it comes out. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so weird how, how far they're, how much they're backloading the year. I mean, it felt like we were starting to spread out the season more in the last couple of years, but it really does feel like, man, it's all at the end there. Um, but there are a couple things we want to talk about. Um, a couple things I reviewed, couple things that have um come out that i haven't seen or that you haven't seen um so yeah we'll just we'll go through them um well we should start with the one that we both saw together yeah um after the wedding um which is the uh how about you talk about it actually i've been i've been chatting a little bit yes it's a remake of a danish film that um starred mads mickelson actually but the remake gender swaps the um the lead characters and um it starts Michelle Williams as this woman who runs a orphanage in India and um she travels she she's trying to get funding for um the orphanage and in order to secure the um the money she has to travel to New York to meet with the person who's lo- who's looking to invest played by Julianne Moore and the weekend that Michelle Williams travels to New York happens to be the weekend that Julianne Moore's daughter is getting married, so Michelle Williams ends up ten- attending the wedding, and it creates a domino effect of melodrama that the trailer doesn't spoil. So I like I don't think we should spoil it, but like things get wild, and um, yeah. the movie just kind of um, is this very old school melodrama that like you really could set in any time period. I think almost like this movie could have been made in the 1950s with Grace Kelly, which is what I kept thinking of the whole time. (laughs) And, um, it's, you have to be in the right headspace for it. I think like I, this is very much like a movie that I would enjoy. And I think the same with, like like we talked about it so much in the lead up, like this movie is very much catered to our interest, I think. And I thought it was a really fun popcorn movie, like as insane as it was. And as like, these characters, no one ever acts in a realistic way. Like, everybody constantly makes the worst decision possible. But um, it's really fun and, like, a good popcorn movie. And um, I think the performances are all pretty good. It's fun. It's not for everybody, but I really enjoy just the old-school melodrama of it all. Yeah. Have you seen the original, by the way? Because I haven't. I haven't either. I really should. I, I... 
It's funny. I can't imagine it with two men. Like, I feel like I'd be so much less interested. <laughs> weirdly wow, it's enough. a Suzanne, Suzanne Beer film. That might actually be pretty good. It probably is, but I cannot imagine it. <laughs> yeah, that's – I don't know about that for sure. Um, yeah, I mean I I was uh, – as I was telling you before we started recording the pod, basically ready to pass out for a lot of that film. Also, it was freezing in the um, uh, the theater because it was so um, my body was just rejecting the film, basically. But I still had a decent time. It, it, the pacing was just slow. Um, like it, the bonkers places it goes are really fun. Um, and like some of it's predictable, but like, God damn, it really goes some directions. And like, Julianne Moore gets to play kind of a bitch, but like a soft bitch. So where she's like, <laughs> she's just real passive aggressive. She'll just throw out a nasty comment and like people will just be so shocked by it that they're like, oh, um, particularly <laughs> Michelle Williams. Um, there was, I think the most uh, telling moment was um, early in the film, her intro scene, they smash cut to her singing Edge of Glory <laughs> in a car. And you and I both were like, <gasps> I like... <laughs> clenched I, I like i like clenched my chest like it was just like it was so shocking and i'm a little upset no one told me about that before this movie played at film festivals i should have been like told Wait, this would happen this is this is exactly the content we would have been looking for why is that not in the trailer frankly it was shocking <laughs> that should but, just be the trailer the trailer should just be her singing and then it just is after the wedding and i'd go Oh, we'd all go and be like, yes, sign me up. When when can I get tickets? Um, yeah, that was great. So, like, it's, there's a lot of, like, juicy shit like that where it's just, like, um, such fodder for, like, you know, like, sort of gaggy moments, if you will. But, like, uh, and then she's got, like, you know, she's got some great scenes throughout it. She gets a big crying scene. Um, and, like, Michelle Williams, everybody's good in it. And there's, it's, I think for me, the issue was definitely the pacing. It just felt too slow and deliberate. And there were so many, uh, like, drone shots. <laughs> there were, yes. To show yeah. off the beautiful landscape of yeah. um, wherever. I don't know where Julianne Moore's house was, but it just looked incredible. They have to be in upstate New York somewhere because she works in, in the city, right? Like she does. She, she I recognize the street she was on because it was right across from the Black Tap in Midtown. <laughs> oh, exactly, exactly. So did I. I was like, oh, Black Tap Midtown. I was like, is that the fifty fifth one? Which is okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's so funny. I did the same thing. Um, but yeah, like it's got to be upstate New York somewhere. Like they probably have a, a you know a place in Poughkeepsie or whatever where they where they vacation or maybe that's where they actually live and she commutes. It looks amazing, and yeah. I love. I was we were talking about this after the movie, but just like. It's one of those great movies where Julianne Moore is a businesswoman and they never quite get into what she does. But there's a lot of great scenes of her just like yelling business jargon. Into the phone, <laughs> and yep. it's so, so wonderful. <laughs> yeah. And, and just like ordering her assistant around. Oh, it's wonderful. Like for the Julianne Moore stuff alone, it's pretty delectable and, and worth seeing, especially if you got, you know, like A-list or something. Yeah. Um, it's um, what I think is funny, actually. This movie obviously is playing limited release and it's going to go wide over Labor Day is the current plan. Um, oh my God. That's actually perfect, honestly. It's perfect, but I find it funny because like limited release, we, we tend to associate still with um, Oscar fare, especially when it has like Julianne Moore and Michelle Williams. But like this movie, I think 10 years ago could have opened wide in like the fall and done okay. And I'm just like, this, it showed me how much like the movie industry has changed really where it's like this movie needs to do a platform release because like it's very mainstream and conventional like it's just, like my parents and my grandparents are just going to like love this when they catch it on cable so it's that like is, 
It's yeah, fascinating. that's a great point, honestly, because it, it does feel like it is the kind of thing that would have opened in May, before, like 10 years ago, yes. and would have been directed at adults and been like a um, a sort of, uh, you know, twisty drama. And that's exactly what it is. Um, and yeah, but here it's just sort of getting dumped in August because it's not really – It's just, now there's not really a market for those films or they just don't know how to market them or something. Yeah, know. and it's a shame because I don't think – like it's going to have any chance at nominations. We'll probably forget we saw it by next month, um, which is not a, a dig towards the movie. I think it's more of just like how the film calendar works these days. But yeah. um, it's just like, damn, like it's a little bit of a bummer that like we have this fun movie with Julianne Moore and Michelle Williams, like like <laughs> having like cry offs basically, and <laughs> like we don't get to. Um, like have it get a wide release and, and talk about it. Instead, we get like so few wide releases, and I'm I just it's a it's me pondering existentially about the the state of the film industry, basically. Yeah, because it's it's got that sort of Greta feel, but it's it's a little less slick than that, obviously. But um, it's that kind of thing that sh- sh- people should be sort of talking about. And again, like that <laughs> there was I don't know if you saw it, but Richard Lawson of um, Vanity Vanity Fair retweeted someone who basically did like a. Um, Nobody – basically said what you said. It was like nobody told me that um, like Julianne Moore sings Edge of Glory in the first 10 minutes. Why – you know, how wh- – where is everybody at, at the the Angelica? <laughs> Explain yourself, <laughs> Chief Willoughby or something. Like I saw that. I think I retweeted that same exact tweet. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so good. Oh, my god. But yeah, like truly, why weren't we notified? How did I have to find this out on my own? It's so upsetting and – you know, it's part of, again, this just, like, the, tr- the chain of Michelle Williams being undervalued as a dramatic actress. Like, um, I think, like, every time she does anything, people are just like, Michelle Williams is so underrated. And I'm like, well, then start rating her properly. Like, it's like, like I feel like she's been underrated for 10 years now. It's like, when will she be good enough to just be, like, good? Like, it's it's very disappointing. It does feel like she's had a weird sort of Oscar curse in which she's done great things, but no one's paying attention, rather than the other, the the typical way, which is where you do really spectacularly bad things and then stop working. Yeah, she has a bad tendency, I think, of being excellent in, like, mediocre movies, like My Week with Marilyn, or, um, yeah. I know this is not the conventional opinion, but, like, I wonder how Blue Valentine would have been if it wasn't her in it. Like, would that movie still have been effective if she wasn't the actress in that scene, in those scenes? So it's like, I think she's someone who's very talented, but just like has to get better options. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, let's do uh, anything else you want to say before we move on? No, um, I think that's that's it. It's a fun movie. People go watch it. It has some yeah. good twists. <laughs> go see it. Um, Let's let's stick with the heightened reality sort of thing. <laughs> um, another thing that came out was Loose. Um, I reviewed it for the site. I, I think I was I must have been in an early crop of people seeing it because I tell you, every reviewer in New York City that was there, including if anybody I don't know if I've mentioned it on the pod, but everybody on the site knows this. There's my nemesis is the woman who um, spoiled uh, Endgame for me to, the day before I saw it uh, at Tribeca. And she follows me around to every screening, and she she almost screwed this one up for me too because she kept moving around and then got up and sort of was making a lot of noise. But anyway, um, <laughs> I still enjoyed this film a lot. Um, I like the sort of like insane um, heightened melodrama it's taking place in. The the um, like it's interesting to compare it to After the Wedding because I think the this gets to go so much farther because it is working at such a sort of 
allegorical space mm-hmm. that the performances get to be insane. Um, and I, the, this plot is basically um, titular character Luce is adopted as a young boy from um, Eritrea and he is uh, he's like a, a child soldier basically. Um, and he's adopted by this white family, Naomi Watts and Tim Roth. Um, and uh, he's a, he's, grown up now in high school. He's a model student, but there's his teacher played by Octavia Spencer finds a, um, a bag of fireworks in his, his locker and brings it to the parents. And then it sort of slowly unfolds about the basic whole thing is, is this kid a monster or is he being, having all these expectations projected on him or, or sinister things projected on him because of one teacher or are his parents, you know, who's right here basically. Is he a, a total sociopath or is he not? I love the delicate line that walked and I think all the performances are very good, particularly by, um, the lead, um, whose name I have to look up very quickly, but, um, Kelvin Harrison jr. Thank you. Um, yeah. And, uh, I think he's great. I think Octavia is great. Um, it's, it's a lot. I like watching it. I was like, this is too melodramatic for probably 90% of the population, but, I was fucking into it. Um, I really, I was, I was really into it. It was very divisive in my theater too. So I, I, I totally get that. It's not like you, you weren't as hot on it as I was right Beth. Yeah. I still liked it a lot. I think it has a lot of merit to it, but it's the sort of movie where it is dealing with so many hot button topics. And yeah. I just wish like it picked a, like a few less topics to talk about and then like really dove into the ones it wanted to focus on because instead it just ends up being like this very like like insane movie of just every major topic being discussed and like um characters just like openly debating <coughs> political points essentially like there's one scene yeah. at the beginning which is when i've realized like your review mentioned um this is not taking place in like a realm of reality where like three yeah. characters are like debating um i think it was like sexism in um in like yes yes and i was like oh these people are not real people <laughs> like it is like these people are speaking various like themes and everything which is interesting and it works but like um it just it's that for two hours because it's go it's covering so much ground and it's just it's exhausting by the end of it yeah. like but it's a very entertaining movie it um it goes some places that i did not expect um and like i was really wrapped up in it i think this is um octavia spencer's best performance probably partially because like I think she's given so few chances to play like really meaty characters, and well, she produced she produced this too. Oh, there we go. See, so, like I think she even knows she wants she wants darker, interesting material, and she's so good. Like it's like she really enjoys having to play this part. And then what <laughs> I think is so interesting about her performance and Kelvin Harrison's performance is that like they need to play it where the audience has to suspect they're a villain, but also think they might be good for the entire runtime and they do a really nice job of keeping up that like mystery mm-hmm. of like if you can trust their characters or not and i think that's fascinating i also think naomi watts is really good um yeah especially at the end like she has one scene in the um when she's meeting with the principal near the ends and mm-hmm. like she has to make like a decision very quickly on like whose side she's on basically and you can really see like that internal work of like her like 
figuring out this character and everything like that. It's really terrific. Yeah. Um, and that's, that seems really, she has to, she also has to play of like a person. She's almost a detective character in it. If you yeah. will, do you know what I mean? If this if you were thinking of it, as sort of a crime drama, she's the person figuring things out. And it's this, this sort of white feminism mm-hmm. allegory, if you will. And like, I, I didn't, I sort of thought I knew what she was going to do at that moment. And then whatever happens, happens. Um, but yeah, that's the thing about it is that I was constantly like, is this going, where is this going? Like, where the hell is this going? Yeah. And like, I don't, that doesn't happen a lot anymore. So, you know, when you're seeing 400 movies, a year, well, 800 movies a year or whatever it's going to be, <laughs> end up being for me. Um, nothing, not a lot of surprising. So I just was impressed by this and yeah, like I, I was willing to go with it because I love a sort of character that stands for a lot of other things and isn't he barely a human. <laughs> Especially if like half of these people are sociopaths, um, yeah. which is really what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> so it, it was on my frequency. But yeah, like I like truly when I wrote that review, I was like, this is not for everyone. And I and I know it's not for everyone. And I'm probably going to trick a couple people who aren't supposed to see this into seeing it. But whatever. Well, it's fascinating. I saw it at um, a theater in New York with um, a friend and it was like a fully packed screening at the um, AMC Lincoln Square. And sure. Um, like the audience reaction was fascinating to me because people kept like laughing at various moments and um that were not meant to be funny. There is some humor in the movie, but it's very very um so dark. Yeah, it's never like a ha like funny. It's always just like ooh. But um, these people like were in hysterics for various moments, and like I was like, how are people interpreting this movie? It's very like odd. <laughs> This sort of thing where I truly wonder, like, this is also expanding Labor Day weekend. And it's the sort of thing I really wonder, like, how will people interpret this? Like, I'm so curious to see how it does as it plays wider and wider because it did a great and limited release. And um, this is the sort of thing where I I think it could be, like, very divisive, especially in, like – suburban theaters i would i would not want to see it in a suburban theater (laughs) i'll attest to that i mean seriously i after the screening that i saw it was all press and it was packed because i I think it was the first press screening but everybody was talking about and like one group was like solidly hated it and then another woman my sworn enemy came out and was (laughs) like i thought it was very good and i was like oh my god i agree with my sworn enemy um so yeah i don't know it's like i i think if you're I, I, I even in that usually in, in in that kind of audience you can kind of tell the way people feel about stuff but yeah the, it was everybody seemed to have a different opinion on it like some people thought it was great and some people was uh, not so good and it was and it I will say it probably did break down um, on gender and race lines <laughs> more <laughs> than you I mean in an unsurprising way let's say that yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the next things I want to talk about are. Um, one I two two quick documentaries that I <coughs> that I saw and reviewed for the site that I don't think you've seen, but I think I don't know if they'll dis they'll probably disappear by the time Oscar season comes around. And one of them I think that is a shame, and one of them I think is uh, pretty good. But uh, I don't know. There hasn't other I don't know what my other picks for documentaries so far this year. Mm. One of them is um, Mike Wallace is here. Um, it's about the newsman, Mike Wallace. It's all done through archival footage, I believe. I don't think there's anything new in it. Um, and there's no like new talking heads. It's all essentially the director creates a film in which it's edited to make it almost as if 
he were reviewing or interviewing Mike Wallace in the style of a Mike Wallace interview. Um, for those who don't know how much familiarity with Mike Wallace, he was the co-anchor on uh, 60 Minutes for like most of its runtime. Um, and he sort of invented this sort of um, uh, aggressive uh, celebrity interview, if you will, or interview in general. I mean, his first show before 60 Minutes got canceled because he went after the uh, Grand Wizard of the KKK, um, basically. It was just like, <laughs> he basically said something like, this person who espouses your stuff is racist. You don't think you're a racist? <laughs> like, it, it, like he would go at people. There's good, um, in the movie, there's ones of him interviewing Betty Davis and Barbara Streisand and just tons of people. Um, so it's, it's a very good, uh, documentary. I'm actually a little surprised it didn't get, it does seem like the kind of thing that would be big with Oscar voters right now. Cause it's about a time in media that was different, but also did eventually lead to our time in media. Like it's the first thing that happens is this moment where, uh, Mike Wallace is interviewing Bill O'Reilly and Bill O'Reilly is like, you're the reason I am the way I am. And sort of Mike Wallace pauses for a second too, as he takes that in. Um, (laughs) And then the movie sort of draws that line for, for, or sort of proves that point in a way, but it's, um, I don't know. I think it would be the kind of thing that Oscar viewers would be really into, voters would be really into, but I didn't, I don't think it really, I mean, maybe it'll get a streaming sort of popularity, but yeah, I don't know. It just didn't, uh, it had a release, but it wasn't a huge release. Did you even hear about it? I have. Um, it sounds excellent. I really would like to see it. It, it also, it does sound like the sort of thing that um, could make the, do- the documentary shortlist for the Academy. I can never figure out exactly what like makes that shortlist and, yeah. and how that's determined. I'm sure it's out there somewhere. I just have never. It, just, it still feels hard to predict though. Cause I read it and I still don't think I ever really know. I'm always no. a little surprised. It'll be interesting to see. That sounds like the sort of thing that would, would make the shortlist. But then again, it's like last year, like if you were to show me hail country before, um, mm. if they made a shortlist, I never would have thought the Academy would go for it. So it's like, it's just a fascinating way the documentaries play out, but it sounds excellent. I really want to see no, that's, it. That's actually a really good comparison because I never – that's a good point. Um, the other one that I, I really think is excellent and that like you sh- anyone should try to see and it's <laughs> – I'm sure not high on anyone's list because you read it and it probably sounds not very interesting. But it's called Honeyland. It is about a, um, a woman who uh, is – it's, it's – it is a documentary, but it seems like it's not because it is so um, set up. Like the, they were clearly filming for a long time. The directors, um, they're, uh, <coughs> it's. I, I'm gonna try to pronounce their names, but it's they're pretty like Eastern European. So it's Tamara Kote, Kotevska and Lyubomir Stefanov. I think is the way you pronounce it. Um, but it's a this European woman who. Um, is like the last person harvesting honey in the sort of ancient, this traditional ancient way, basically. And she's taking care of her mother and there's these beautiful shots of her walking like on the edge of a cliff to get to this very distant bee beehive. Um, and then this family moves into this deserted town she's living in and they bring all these machines and they bring their cattle and these children. And there's, there's this noise all of a sudden polluting the, the, the sound the soundtrack and and this woman walks like i think it's like five hours one way to sell the honey in town it's wild um 
and she does it like in a day. So she'll like walk there and then walk back just because she's got to take care of her mom who's like blind and bedridden. Um, and the family moves in and they she makes friends with them and then they start to try to harvest honey. Um, but they do it in a sort of commercial way. And this guy from town comes in who like <coughs> forces them to over basically over harvest and it starts to like it, it kill all the bees and stuff. And it's this whole parable of like greed basically and like defying the laws of nature and it's a true story and it's beautifully shot and beautifully um beautifully edited realistically because it's like they were probably filming for like two years honestly at least um to get all of this because it seems insane i mean unless they literally just in some act of god (laughs) happened to be filming when all of this was happening either way it's very incredible and sort of this I, I like really loved it. Um, and it's playing in, uh, at the quad in, in New York city right now. Um, and I'm sure it'll show up on a streaming service somewhere, but if you can get a chance to see it in a theater, absolutely do. It's beautiful. Um, cause it's just all these beautiful shots of like countryside and, you know, and the sound work is very smart because uh, it, it, truly as soon as that family shows up, there's never not like sounds of machinery or, or children on the soundtrack. It's fascinating. It looks so good, and it's a neon film, if I remember correctly. I think it's a neon release, but I might I be. I think so. And I was disappointed because um, neon usually does good expansions for the documentaries, like um, Little Big Farm or whatever it was, Apollo, um, oh. and um, the three, three, three Identical Strangers all played near me. And I was waiting for this one to come in, and it hasn't opened yet. And yeah. I'm just, it looks great. Um, I never talked about this on the pod, but like – in my real job, um, I do publicity for um, nature books, amongst other things. And like our big books this season were all B books. So I've been spending like the past six months of my life, like doing a lot of research into like the B world and everything. So like the topic is something that actually like I know a little bit about. So I was like, oh my God, like this is fascinating. Oh, yeah. And it looks so good. I, Listen, if you want to go see it at the quad, I'll go to that next, next week. I'll hit cool. you up. Because <laughs> it's very good. I, when I saw it was playing at the quad, I was like, oh, shit, Honeyland's playing here. Um, and the person I saw at Love Antosha with was like, what? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the quad is a is a weird theater in New York that I do kind of have a soft spot for. <laughs> the absolute weirdest theater in the world. Absolute. Um, but yeah, it's very good. I, you should you should absolutely see it if you have any interest in bees, honestly. Or since you, you have forcibly had interest in bees. <laughs> Um, you know, that reminds me now though, uh, should I talk about Love Antosha now that I have brought it up? Yeah. I'm really curious about it. I, um, that one also like snuck up on me and I'm like, shit, that sounds really good. Yeah. Well, the release is very weird. Um, I guess they're just trying to get more buzz for it or I don't know. I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, Love Antosha is, um, a documentary, uh, sort of sponsored and, um, or at least, uh, given the go ahead by, uh, Anton Yelchin's parents and it's about Anton Yelchin and it's produced by um oh my god his name just went right out of my head um he directed like crazy I'm gonna look it up in a second um Um, which Anton Yelchin was in um with uh Felicity Jones and Jennifer Lawrence is it Drake Dormius or something yeah Drake Drake Doremus um uh yeah and and Drake Doremus and um and uh the parents were there and the director, which after the movie, which was honestly brutal, I have to say, because, um, you know, it's, it ends with its shocking and unexpected death 
And then his fucking parents walked in. It was brutal. And then there were like people in the audience who knew them. Ugh, it was so bad. Well, I mean, not, you know, it's just rough to sit through, but the movie itself is very good. It has a lot of interviews. Um, people who work with him, there's some from Chris Pine and uh, Kristen Stewart. Cause they worked in a movie together called fierce people. And then um, they worked once or twice actually together, but fierce people is very, don't see that. If anybody who's listening, hasn't seen it, it's got a very awful rape scene that I don't like in it. That's one of the worst that I think I've ever seen. Um, but it's got those two. It's got um, Jennifer Lawrence. Um, I'm surprised that Felicity Jones wasn't in it, but he, the director afterwards, um, his name is Garrett Price, and it's his first documentary, by the way. Um, mentioned that there were some interviews that couldn't be included because every the person was so upset, you know. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if she was one of them because that that movie is um, like crazy. Have you ever seen it? Like crazy? Years ago, but yes, I have. Yeah, it's all improv. So, in order to get that performance, I'm sure the two of them had to be very close. Um, but anyway, um, it's a movie that I think is. It tells you a lot about a person, A, because nobody knew he was sick publicly, that he had cystic fibrosis, because um, he actually didn't know until he was older. His parents kept it from him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Beca- not because they were, uh, you know, nothing sinister or something. They were just like, we don't want that to hang over his head. He's so happy and energetic. But then at some point later in life, he started to get finally really have symptoms and they, you know, told him. Um but yeah, there's there's a lot about that. There's a lot about his photography, which I didn't know about, which was he would sort of like go into the sort of sex clubs and shit of L.A. and sort of take all these pictures, which I didn't know about. Um, and yeah, it, it's sort of I mean, there's it can, it can only get so dark in a way and it can only sort of like it has the effect of making him seem like a great artist in a way that maybe there there are possibly people who would argue against that you know, but I don't know who would, but it's like, <laughs> it's such a glowing picture that like, it's not a, perhaps it's not a full picture, but I, who am I to say? Do you know what I mean? Right. Of course. Um, but it is, <coughs> excuse me, very effective. Um, so yeah, it's worth seeing. I don't, I, I, it, again, it seems like something that would be, I don't know that, that, that would be popular amongst Oscar voters just because he seems to have really, um, a worked with a lot of big people and B had an effect on those people. Like Martin Landau was in it a lot, almost crying about wow. how much he like, yeah, it's wild. Um, and like Willem Dafoe was in it. All these John, John like uh, Nicholas Cage does his, uh, reads the diary entries of, of Anton Yelchin. It's wild. I mean, the people involved are pretty big. I, I was shocked. Um, but yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's going to get enough, <coughs> of a, a screening basis or if it's, if it's like too personal for anything to be anything other than sort of like a, a tribute, you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it sounds really beautiful. I, I really want to <laughs> see it. Uh, it is hard to tell. Like, uh, like there's been, I, I, I don't know. How do I wear this? Like, there is an affection for him that I didn't expect there to be after his death. That of just like people, I think, I think we all collectively realized like he was going. Like I think he was going to be a bigger star than we ever would have even realized. And it's it's like it makes it even more tragic. He's so talented. He has been in so many great um, films um, and movies that like have become these weird sort of 
cult favorites like Green Room, for example, or something like mm-hmm. that. Like these movies that just have like this intense following right now. I mean, Green Room for me and my and many people I know have become has become like a very important movie in the past <laughs> three years, uh, which I didn't expect when I first saw it. But um, and I I don't know. I I think it sounds really beautiful, and I I'm curious to see how I want to see it no matter what. But I'm very curious to see if it um how it like plays out throughout the Oscar season itself because I could see a world like where it becomes one of the nominees because there is such like this uh, affection and it is so like centric to Hollywood like it's like uh, like the people that be voting for it would probably know him yeah yeah and it's I mean he grew up in LA and it's it's a sort of incredible Hollywood story in a way of like you know he's the kid of two Olympic ice skaters from Russia who fled during the Soviet years. Like what a wild thing. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's, I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but it's, it's worth seeing if you, even if you, if you are familiar and if you aren't, you know what I mean? Um, it's a, it's a decent little film. Um, the other ones that we want to talk about, uh, I haven't seen. So, um, let's talk about the Nightingale. Yes, the Nightingale. This is the new movie from Jennifer mm-hmm. Kent, who did the 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 Babadook um, back in twenty fourteen. Um, it is a rough film to sit through, um, and like deals with some pretty intense content. But to um, basically get into the plot, it's set in eighteen twenty five at a time when Australia was being um, uh, specifically um, Tasmania. Um, I think it's how you pronounce it um tasmania was being colonized by the british and um it follows this one woman played by um aisling franciosi um she plays a character named claire who is an irish woman uh who is a a, was a convict they never quite get into what crime she committed but she um is essentially the servant slash slave to a (coughs) to a british commander played by sam claffin um, and is forced to live with him in, um, the, at the military post where they're stationed in Australia. Um, she at, at one point is like trying to convince the, the military soldier who regularly, regularly abuses her, um, to finally like free her of her position because she served her time under him. And she has, a, she has a young child and she's married and she wants to move on with her husband. Um, and in retaliation, the military soldier um, kills her um, husband and her child, and um, it essentially it kicks off this revenge film where the um, the young woman follows the military soldier through the jungle um, in, to find him and kill him, and then a few other men who wronged her as well. But it's much more than a a rape revenge movie at like, which Jennifer Kent has emphasized quite a bit in her interviews about the film. Um, because the, um, Claire brings a, uh, a guide with her, um, an Aboriginal man, um, to serve as her tracker. And for those who don't know, the Aboriginal people were being intensely persecuted and colonized by the British at this point. And, um, like together, the two of them, are going going on this mission together, and it's exploring the way that um, this the patriarchy affects the both of them, and the way like Claire has um, race race blind spots and is like a racist person <coughs> as well, and she's um, over the course of the film unlearning this racism 
but without giving her like a Green Book-esque narrative. It's a little more complex than that. And um, I think the film is really fascinating. It's on like a purely technical level. I think Jennifer Kent is really doing like masterful work here. Um, the, the I like The Babadook a lot. I don't remember it very well. I don't think I've watched it since 2014. Um, but I remember it being well-directed and I just like – I was still stunned by just what she's able to do here as a director. It's really intense. The suspense is like in- insane. Um, the acting is really brilliant. She has these like nightmare sequences throughout the film for whenever the character um, goes to sleep, where like her um, experience as a horror director come back and like they're genuinely terrifying. Um, it's very well paced, except for like the ending, which I think drags on a little too long. But um, what I think really makes the film interesting and special is that the script is so layered where on one level, yes, it is enjoyable as this revenge thriller. But there's so much more going on underneath it. You really have these incredible arcs going on between um, Claire and Billy, who is her tracker, and um, the way that their relationship changes over the course of the film, the way it explores how um, everybody – like was a victim in a sense under the, under the patriarchy in different ways, but whether um, like white women, but then also women of color were being treated in a different way. And it just explores the, um, these changes over the course uh, um, of the film and like the way these characters learn about each other. And it's, it's really interesting. I don't think it's an easy watch. Jennifer Kent has said in many, many interviews that um, like, I, uh, the film should have a trigger warning. Some theaters do have it with a trigger warning from what I have read online. Oh. Um, I think really it's the sort of film like it's, I think it's excellent. I do not think it's like necessary viewing because it is so dark. Um, but at the very least, I am ex- extremely excited to see what Jennifer Kent does next. I'm happy that like she was rumored for so many big movies after the Babadook from like Captain Marvel to some other things. And like, I think I'm, I'm really happy she stuck with making this like incredibly challenging and dark, <laughs> dark movie instead. And it, I'm just excited to see where she goes from here. I think it's a really interesting, um, interesting film. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I really am. I wish it were not at the only at the Angelica or whatever it is. I have um, censor. <laughs> oh yeah. Ugh, even worse. Um, <laughs> Cause I really liked the Babadook and I really want to see this, but I just don't want to pay for it. And there are so many other things out right now. It's just, it's tough. Um, I'll probably end up paying for it at some point, but I just, man, I hate that IFC center. Um, (laughs) but the, the other one that you've seen that I didn't get a chance to see this weekend was, um, the kitchen, um, which is, uh, adapted from a comic book. Um, I, I assume you haven't read that, right? I have not. I, ju- I found that it was a comic book literally as the movie started. <laughs> yeah. I haven't read it <clears throat> either, actually. Although I, the the writers are very good, but um, yeah, why don't you talk about it? Yeah, the the kitchen is a movie starring um, Melissa McCarthy, Tiffany Haddish, and Elizabeth Moss. I, I always confuse the, confuse Elizabeth Moss and Elizabeth Olsen, but um, Elizabeth Moss <laughs> and the three of them play um, women whose husbands are arrested. Um, in Hell's Kitchen in the 1970s, they were they were all part of the Irish mob, um, and with them in jail, the the three um, wives are worried about how will they get money, um, and will the Irish mob continue to protect them 
in like during the three or so years that their husbands are in jail and they uh, take, take matters into their own hands and like muscle into the mob essentially. And um, yeah, the movie is um, being really hated by many critics. And um, I don't think it's quite as bad as critics are saying, but it feels like half a movie. And that really is like the biggest problem I think with it. It's um it's under two hours and the plot is easy to follow, but it really does feel like, for whatever reason, they cut any scene that doesn't immediately forward the plot. It is a really bare-bone movie where um, every single scene just directly leads into the next. And then um, the movie the movie literally ends so abruptly because this the minute the conflict is resolved, the movie just like cuts the credits. And it's it just it feels really odd to me because there's ways to do the sort of economical films where like the plot is so tight. But this is a movie that hinges so much on characters going through different emotional arcs and like certain characters manipulating other people and um you're wondering like who can you trust and every and all that and the movie, like those sort of arcs are impossible to sell when every scene is just meant to forward the plot. Because then it's like you have these characters make certain decisions that just do not make sense. And um, you have other characters reach the end of an arc that you know they'll get to eventually, but they don't do any of the work to actually build on that arc. So it's just, it's an odd experience. It's a very odd film where, um, like, when it ended, I just kind of felt like, I, I read like a Wikipedia summary. Essentially, it is just like it is a very very quick movie. I think if this was two and a half hours or something like that, it would have been better. Um, even like make it a mini series, something like that. You know, it's only an hour and forty three right now. There's no reason. I mean, you know, fucking Endgame is three hours and five minutes. There's no <laughs> reason that shouldn't this couldn't be longer. Exactly, and. What's sad is that some of the stuff that works is really compelling. Like, I think all three of the main actresses are great. Um, I, at this point, I think if people are surprised Melissa McCarthy's good in a movie, it's just like, you, I, I have no time for you. <laughs> like, it's like she's been good for a while and in dramas and in comedy. So, um, I, like, and Elizabeth Moss is, of course, great. She's like, she's doing a part that she could really, like, do in her sleep at this point. Like, she's playing, like, the really unhinged one. And I'm, and like, that's something that, she, I think she has no problem like tapping into based on her filmography, but at this um, point, I don't think there's anything she can't tap into. You know what I exactly. mean? Exactly. Yeah, she's she's just excellent, and, I, and at the very least, I'm happy that Hollywood is finally casting her in things. Um, I'm very excited for um, the Invisible Man with her, but um, <laughs> even though I wish she was playing the Invisible Person, <laughs> she should be playing the Invisible Man. You know, I saw her in a Kmart years ago, and, and she was walking down the stairs, and I was walking up the stairs, and I don't know if it was because she was backlit by the sun, but she seemed like the most incredible, like resplendent person I'd ever seen. I was like, why isn't she casting everything? Like in my mind, <laughs> she's so good. I really love her so much. Watch her smell. Everybody, my main thought whenever she was on screen was I should watch her smell. But um, <laughs> the the problem and it, um, Tiffany Haddish is great too. And um, I know there's been rumors forever that um, Paul Thomas Anderson wants to put her in a movie, and I'm like, please do it. <laughs> like I want her to be in dramatic roles. Like get get her something get her something interesting to do. Especially since I feel like her comedic projects have not been great for her, or she's always playing like second fiddle to somebody, and it's like give her a starring role. Yeah, it's interesting. It's because like, I, in two, in some ways, it's like the best thing that happened to her was Girls, Girls Night or whatever. But and also the worst thing because like, 
she it's given her a lot of work, but also it's people it's allowed people to pigeonhole her in a way. But where like if you look at her in something like um, Keanu, which is not a, a good movie, she's really compelling in it. I remember watching that movie and like thinking, who is this woman? She's excellent. And she's really subdued in that. And it has to sort of play a two different characters in the same movie, essentially, because she's. She, there's a whatever but I'm not going to spoil Keanu but um, I forgot she was in it damn I yeah, saw it yeah. in theaters <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah well that's the, the thing it's not it was like right before she blew up so you know I, it just sort of went unnoticed but I remember sitting in that movie thinking like man who is this she's really good and then like uh, and I didn't even connect it when she was in you know Girls Night a couple like a year or two later and then I was like oh shit like that's that that's that woman. She's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's like, I'm, I'm really excited to see this for her. And you know, like, even if this is not great, like, I don't care. Like yeah, the guys have been getting shitty, you know, gangster pictures for years. So we, the ladies can get a couple of shitty gangster pictures, whatever. You know, well, it's so funny because the go-to negative tweet. And again, I want to, I want to emphasize. It's like, I do think this movie is like, on the more bad side, it has, like, a lot of problems with it. But I, like, I just, like, always get annoyed at the harshness of some of the takes with it because it feels like it becomes, like, a punching bag. And the yeah. go-to criticism I see of it is, like, oh, Widows did this better. And I'm – it has – other than that it involves wives of criminals, I, like – it has nothing to do with Widows. And if we're going to use that comparison, then, like – any male gangster movie is repeating what another gangster movie has done before. <laughs> like it's like, um, for like they're doing totally different types of crime. It's set, <laughs> at, a, set at a totally different era. Um, yeah. The tone is completely different. It's just like like it's insane to me to even put them in the same category. I think if the movie came out another year later, no one would think to compare them both. Um, and yeah. um, it's it's just yeah it's a misogyny jumps out and you don't realize it's letting you're letting it jump out you know what I mean very true um I do also want to say the other main problem I have with this movie is that while the three main actresses are great the the boys in the movie are pretty terrible and it is a lot of like really cringy performances in it Dom Dom Hall Gleason is in it as um an ex boyfriend of Elizabeth Moss's character who comes and like tries to teach the three wives of um how to like kill people and like dispose of bodies and things like that (laughs) he is in a totally different movie and it is an embarrassing performance i don't know if 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 that's the director directing him incorrectly i don't know if that's him misreading the script who knows but like whenever they cut to him it honestly made me laugh a little bit because he just like is playing this like psycho character without a hint of like humor to it and it's just it is totally like it totally throws off the rest of the movie um it's such a bad performance and then you have other actors like common or um who plays an fbi agent and then you have brian to rc james of smash um who plays um melissa mccarthy's ex-husband or husband who's in jail and um they're like just reading lines off paper essentially like they're very they're very they're not committed to this the only male actor who i think gives a good performance is um bill camp who is really really great as an italian gangster even though i don't think he's italian but um but like he's having a lot of fun at least and he like 
picks up on what the tone is supposed to be. It's just it's an odd movie where I just think if everybody tried a little harder, then it could have been like great, but it never quite gets there, which is unfortunate. Yeah, it's a shame. I, I'm still going to see it, but I I wish it was great. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts. I've seen like some really compelling defenses for, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I, like it's a shame that in this film culture it's like because it didn't do very well over the weekend and because um just there's like so many movies coming out in august we're like there's five movies coming out next weekend again as well um like it's not going to be discussed after this week and okay. i'm like if like i kind of want to see like a full like month of discussion on this movie like we're still talking about fucking tarantino it's like let's talk about this movie too like i want to have Longer conversations about movies. I hope it gets like, <coughs> excuse me. Um, maybe it'll get like a once it hits uh, streaming or something. Maybe people catch it and sort of, you know, I don't know, do something. You know, maybe yeah. it'll have a, a life after a life on home video, as it were. Hopefully, but, uh, we we can fingers crossed. Just and just t- cast Tiffany Haddish in another gangster movie. Like I'll watch that. <laughs> yeah, it, she's very good. I I really everything I've seen her in. Honestly, has she's been interesting in even everything, you know, mm-hmm. even when it's a small part, um, or the movie does is bad. Um, <clears throat> those are all the movies we want to talk about. Is there anything you want to bring up? I mean, I guess we could. Uh, there are things that are coming up we could talk about. We technically never talked about the Cats trailer, but what else can we say at this point? <laughs> um, I watch that trailer a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, just out of like the sheer fascination of it, and showing it to people who. Um, like haven't seen it yet just to see their reaction i'm really excited for it <laughs> it's like, like it looks so bad but in a way that i'm fascinated by and i <coughs> i need to experience um i'm really excited to go with friends and have some drinks and just like see what the fuck happens with it. like it opens the same day as star wars and my friends are all planning on seeing cats and not star wars <laughs> wow um, I'll probably see both, but yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'll steal a quote from a comic book, uh, <coughs> writer I follow and say, I don't remember a time before the catch trailer came out at this point. I don't remember what that was like. Um, I've only lived in a world where digital fur technology is, is the future. Um, all right. <laughs> I will put it this way. Um, every podcast I listen to, um, all of one of which is hosted by gay men. Um, <laughs> like even no matter what they talk about on the podcast, like they took 10 minutes to talk about the catch trailer. <laughs> like it, it was all like, comes back. It, it all, all comes back, comes back, back to the catch trailer. trailer. It really yeah. does. I cannot wait to have like more discourse about it. Can yeah. we talk about the trailer that we, we freaked out for, which is like a, a holiday for me when this movie comes out. Hustlers. Um, which oh God! I really think is like one of the best trailers released in the past six months, and like no one's talking about it. I think that trailer is excellent. I'm so excited for that movie. <laughs> I was so mad when Cat stepped all over it. I know. I was like, I'm oh like, God, like the gays are getting too much content. <laughs> like, it was too much. It was a whirlwind 24 hours. I couldn't handle it. It was too damn much. Um, yeah, I can't wait for that. I mean, listen, J Lo plus. Lily Reinhardt, someone we have we have or I feel we've talked about her on the pod, right? We have because um, I forgot why, but we did. I don't remember it's why. Us. Yeah, it's us. Oh, we just bring it up. I think we were trying to recast um, a place in the sun. Yes, was, yeah, and, I think that was it. <laughs> yeah, and it sort of spiraled into CW talk. Um, <laughs> 
listen to that pod, everybody. Um, yeah, like, can you believe that cast? I mean, honestly, how dare they make this film? Lizzo is in it, and like Cardi B. I- Cardi B is in it, actual stripper, you know, <laughs> like she's coming with the experience and JLo's like flipping around on a pole. I mean, this is everything I've asked for. I can't believe I did not make that film. <laughs> I am so excited for it. I, um, like my friend, I, I sent it to all my friends and I'm like, no one make any plans for September 13th. Like we're going, we're doing shots of tequila beforehand. It's going to be a fun time. I am so excited for this movie. <laughs> if that movie's not good, I'm basically done with film. Honestly, it might ruin my, like my interest in movies. If it's not good, I'll be, I'll be so upset. Yeah, it's going to Toronto. Good. So I really have to hope it's good. Like, yeah. Oh God, I hope it's good. Fuck. Also, Same. it's the thing that, STX Films is like riding on because they're like this close to bankruptcy. So they actually just delayed um, something called Playmobil the movie, which I have never heard of before, but like they delayed it because they can only afford to release one movie right now and they're going to go with Hustlers. And I'm like, thank God. Like, thank God for that. All right. Listen, I have a pretty good contact at old good old STX. So I'm going to be definitely paying to see this one, even if they don't invite me to a, a press screening. <laughs> you got to support STX. Oh, man, I, <laughs> I hope they invite me to a press screening, too. But I, honestly, I'll pay for it. I really will. <laughs> Looks great. Looks great. I can't wait for it. Um, so yeah, I think that's everything. Um, we will be back in a couple weeks uh, maybe a month i don't know not who it depends on what's coming out you know what i mean um i have probably this week i'm gonna have um most likely just two end of the century is this week and then um the other one is uh what you're gonna do when the uh where is it where is it uh what you're gonna do when the world's on fire um which is documentary um sort of about the uh police violence in America. So that's going to be interesting. Um, yeah, that's what I have coming out. Maybe I'll do 47 meters down or something. I don't know. I'm maybe possibly where'd you go burn it at? Actually, you should probably do that. I don't know. No one signed up for that yet. <laughs> I think it looks bad though. <laughs> like, Yeah. Have you read the book? I haven't. My mom did. And I don't know if I want to say it. I won't say it on the pod in case someone actually wants to see it. But um, <laughs> she gave me some interesting intel based on her reaction to the trailer. But it looks bad. It and I'm spoiled everything? Yes. It's like my mom was like, oh, they gave away the ending in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because the question the, – the, the title is a question. <laughs> yeah. And, <the laughs> and boy, movie. that trailer tells you exactly where she goes. Um, yeah, the book is great though. You should, you should uh, read it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it's telling that they delayed it for so long, I think. Because it was supposed to come out like a year ago. Yeah, it just I, – I cannot get enthusiastic about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the the curse of A-list that you can only see three movies. And I already have tickets to two for that next weekend, mm-hmm. Blinded by the Light and the Apocalypse Now um, re-release. And I'm like, Ugh, do I want to see The Farewell again or do I want to see Where'd You Go, Bernadette? And I, I'm leaning towards The Farewell again, which is like – I feel bad about, but I don't know. It looks bad. You're probably going to be the right choice. I, I don't think it's going to be very good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what I'll have coming up. Um, what do you have coming up? Um, well, literally right after we finish recording, I'm going to watch Succession. So I'm going to write about that at some point this week, which I cannot wait for because I am a Succession stan, I've realized <laughs> lately. Um, it's so good. It's so good. Everybody watch it. It's, the trailers do not do it justice. It looks like white finance bros the show and it's one of the funniest things i've ever watched please watch it um but other than that um 
Uh, I fall TV is coming up, so we'll be talking about things around then. I'm sure in September, the creator of Smash has a new show starting on Netflix, which I will of course review. Um, it was called Mixtape, but now it was recently changed, so I don't remember what it's called. But it stars Madeline Stowe and um, I think Christina Milian, and it's a musical series, and it's going to change my life, basically. Is this Therese Rebecca you're speaking of? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> the, the creator of, of Smash. <laughs> I don't know which creator of Smash it is. Yeah, but... that's, that's why I had to clarify. Like, Smash Heads, I'm not just being an idiot. There are at least two creators of Smash. <laughs> ne- um, the Netflix Twitter account, which is how I learned about their oh. new content, because okay. they never... They, they just have shows that just drop at random. Um, yeah. They tweeted it from the creator of a Smash, and I was like, huh? <laughs> like, What's the name of it? What's the name of it again? It was called Mixtape, but I think it's changed titles. I mean, it, it, all I know for sure is it starts Madeline Stowe. So I'm looking it up now on IMDb by I searching Madeline this Stowe. Up. She's doing the research. <laughs> I it's, so not, it's not Teresa Rebecca. God, let me see. Let me see. Let me see. You, well, like this is just you know that gif of that woman who is just like chewing gum and typing. Yeah. That's what this podcast has just turned into. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. Yeah, it's called mixtape still, and it stars it, Madeline Stowe. And oh, it's Josh Shaffron who did like One Tree Hill or whatever. Yes, and Gossip Girl and Quantico, according yeah. to IMDb. Yeah, that's I'm, what I thought. I was like, it's not Teresa Beck. She she's never going to work in this town again. <laughs> oh my god she should though like oh. someone give her a shitload of money to do whatever she wants yeah they tried that already it was a disaster <laughs> all right this is turning into our smash podcast in a couple years uh <laughs> tune in for that in like 2020 or whatever it is um <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> I, I can't wait i'm at marissa carpico on twitter and basically everywhere um matt where are you i'm at matt not matthew one all right, cool. Uh, tune in next time where we're going to try not to talk about Smash. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about Smash. We're going to talk about Smash. <laughs>